Welcome to Words That Move Me, the podcast where movers and shakers like you get the information and inspiration you need to navigate your creative career with clarity and confidence. I am your host, Dana Wilson, and I move people. I am all about the tools and techniques that empower tomorrow's leaders to make the work of their dreams and live a full life while doing it. So whether you're new to the game or transitioning to your next echelon of greatness, you're in the right place. Hello, hello, my friend. Welcome to Words That Move Me. I'm Dana. I am stoked that you're here. I am super stoked, actually, because, wow, I am really lit up by this conversation with the one and only John Boogs. (laughs) Y'all. Whoa. Um... I've been a fan of his dancing and his work for a very long time, and after sitting down and finally talking like one-on-one, I am even more inspired, even more in awe, even more a cheerleader for him and all of his success. Um, John is an Emmy-winning director, filmmaker, movement artist, choreographer, actor, and writer who has worked with some of the biggest brands, like period, the end, globally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Facebook, Apple, Lexus, Don Perignon, Marriott, Banana Republic, just to name a few. Um, and today we are sitting down to talk about, oh man, we cover a lot, <laughs> how he met dance uh, and and the people who influenced his kind of journey down the rabbit hole. We also serve up a very story-heavy education on the history of funk styles and how he went from broke with five roommates to being at the helm of like fully funded work doing very well and not just for himself but for the dance community this episode is a celebration of funk and funkiness and i am so excited to share it but first let's do some wins today Huge win, guys. (laughs) Huge win. Milestone, actually, for me um, in my goals as a human. Uh, This past Wednesday, almost two years after vocal cord surgery, I sang (laughs) several notes, (laughs) several notes of a song uh, that is actually also a very emotional uh, monologue of sorts. And not only did I do that, but I did that in front of people. Mm-hmm. Sure did. There's more to unpack and celebrate here, probably enough for its own episode, to be totally honest. Um, so I'm going to stop right here by saying thank you, Gary Imhoff, and your professional artists workshop for giving me a safe place to play and perform. I am so very grateful. If you listener out there are looking to uh, make the kind of work that how do I say this, Uh, scares you (laughs) in a good way, Uh, then please consider training with Gary Imhoff at the Professional Artist Workshop. He has already been a guest on the podcast. So if you're even remotely interested in acting or using acting or directing or writing, honestly, as a tool in your creative tool belt, then please go back and listen to episode 112, Get to Know Gary. Um, And then, of course, reach out to me if you're interested in joining his class or just search Gary Imhoff in the Professional Artist Workshop. Actually, we'll link it in the show notes. Boom. That is my win. I am a person who sings in front of other people. Okay. Oh, now you go. I almost went right into the episode. You, What's going well in your world, my friend? Tell me everything. I can't hear you. So say it loud um, and say it proud. 
congratulations. I'm proud of you. You're crushing it. You are out there doing the work, working so hard. I'm celebrating you from inside my tiny pod booth. Um, literally, both fists were up in the air. I don't know if you could hear, see that. Uh, okay, here we go. This is it. I'm done with the preamble. And actually, um, John and I wrap up this conversation in such a neat and tight and funky way that you won't even hear from me again uh, for this whole episode. Um, no wrap up, no final thoughts, just go ahead and loop it on back from the top when you're done with this episode. <laughs> Enjoy this wonderful conversation with the truly remarkable John Bugs. John Bugs, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you for being here. Appreciate you for having me. Oh man, I I it is the first time we've ever sat down and talked shop, certainly one-on-one. I think correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I think that we met in person like the first time that we met um at Anthony Ramos's birthday in 2019. Yeah, you talking about in New York? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think, I think it was at Tri- Tribeca Film Festival because um, In the Heights had their release, and then Blind Spotting had our season one release, and so we got invited to uh, Anthony's shindig. That is correct. I'm excited yeah. to talk about Blind Spotting. I'm excited to talk about your many many other important and talk worthy works. Uh, but first. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. It's a tradition here on the podcast. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Just tell us whatever it is you would like us to know about you. Okay. Uh, Well, hello. My name is John Bugs. I am a director, choreographer, writer, dancer first. I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, lived in Baltimore for a brief stint, and I moved to Miami and from Miami to Los Angeles. So... That's kind of my journey in a nutshell. I love that I have already been proven wrong about you. I thought you were born and raised Miami. Well, the reason why I um, represent Miami is because, like, that's kind of where I became. The John Boogs thing happened in Miami. Like, right, I, that's where I, the artist was born. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, and Miami gave me my game. It gave me diversity. It gave me it just, it introduced me to so many different aspects of what I do now that like, I I, I say I'm from Miami because I spent, you know, 11 years of my life living there, but also just like, those were like key maturation years for me as a person, as an artist. So yeah, I, I always will say Miami first. Is that where you met dance? No, I met dance. I was living in uh, Baltimore at the time. And, uh, you know, Baltimore and D.C., they kind of got their club music and it's really fast. Super rich culture for for dance. Yeah, Yeah, really fast paced, up tempo. At that time, uh, I was obviously watching uh, Beach Street and Breakin' and like any little moves I could steal off of those movies at that time as an 11 year old kid i was i was doing that but simultaneously in the neighborhood popping was a really big thing in baltimore people did it at the boys and girls clubs people did it at school dances so it was just a thing that people did and i'll never forget when i seen Corey ruff bobby digital and raheem those those three dancers 
when I first saw it was like, it looked otherworldly. It looked like alien-like to me. It looked like how does a human control their body in that way? And I was like, I have to figure out how they're achieving that. You know what I mean? And and that kind of was like uh, when I fell in love. So Baltimore, Maryland is the place where I fell in love with the dance. Mm. And it sounds like it was love at first sight. Ooh, yeah. It was like um, just the respect they commanded when they stepped in a circle, you know, Mm -hmm. like it was like people were in awe of them. You know what I mean? It was. And, you know, when you're when you're living in, you know, areas and neighborhoods like that, it's like your reputation is everything, whether you play sports or whether you're a great dancer or whatever, or you rather you rhyme or whatever it is you do, it was a big deal. So to be, you know, the, one of the best dancers in the city is like an achievement, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I'm lucky that these guys who were the top of the top in Baltimore were like right there at my fingertips, you know, and I could see it, experience it, take it in. And I got really lucky because I kind of picked up on it kind of fast. And then the older guys, because my brother was like a big time football player. So he was just like, everyone loved him. So he would bring me to all the high school parties when I was in middle school. So Mm -hmm. I was hanging out with people doing things way before I was supposed to be doing them. But You were were in, in the cool kids club at a young age. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were having a good time. And, And what, what the older kids loved about me so much is I could pop. I could pop really good. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And that was like, yo, it's crazy, Johnny. Cause that's what everybody called me back then. You know, Johnny can, Johnny can pop, man. Johnny can pop really good. And then the guys who I first saw that blew my mind, they took me under their wing because they saw that I was good. And then the first thing he gave me is like a um Corey gave me a um Mr. Wiggles mm-hmm. uh a DVD. Tape. Yep, a tape. Actually, it was VH. Oh. It was v- it was VHS. Dang. It okay, let's put a date on it then. <laughs> yeah, it was the VHS because this is like 2000, 2000. So uh-huh. it gives me the VHS and I go home and watch it. And I'm not going to lie, I was so ignorant to other ways of doing it that I'm like, oh, yeah, he's good. But he keeps tutting the whole time. Like ah. the whole tape is tutting. I'm so dumb that I didn't realize that the tape was specifically on the style of just tutting. So he had hours and hours of him doing mad variations of tutting. And then at the end of the VHS, it was a preview to his next Uh DVD or next Uh VHSs. And that's when I was like, whoa, like I've never, like, I thought these guys were crazy, but like, this is like. That was you jumping into the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, it was godly. And um, yeah, sorry, I, I can talk about that for No, it's fantastic. I, I have a, um, a, a small overlap in similarity in that I, I was so lucky to, to get to train with one of my heroes. I think mm-hmm. the way that you fell in love with popping, it sounds like the way I fell in love with locking. Uh, when I saw it danced for the first time, I was like, what's that? How do I do that? I had been dancing at a dance studio since I was three years old, but had never seen anything that bright, that funky, and that like soulful. And I, I was obsessed with it. I couldn't. I looked awkward as all get out because it took me a long time to find the dance that is locking versus just the elements of locking. Yeah, like I looked yeah. corny and two dimensional when I tried to imitate it. Of course, I didn't have like 
the, the groove of it, the dance. Yeah. But I yeah. got so lucky in that I got to meet Tony Basil. Tony taught me everything I know about locking. Um, her and Sugar Pop when he taught out here in, in the early days. And I remember the feeling of, I've talked about this a lot lately, of being so humbled down, like feeling like I was an infant learning to walk, like truly feeling like I know nothing. How is it possible that I have danced for 16 years and know nothing mm-hmm. met with, I am so inspired. I am so in love. I have to keep doing this thing. Is that, did, did you have a similar moment in your training? 100%. It was um, the Wiggles, right? The wig, the Wiggles, the Wiggles tape. And then at the end of his tape, he goes, he starts shouting out his teachers. He's like Skeeter Rabbit, uh-huh. Pop and Pete. He starts shouting out all these poppers that I never heard of. You know okay, what I mean? Okay, and then the so education like, began. Yeah, well, then I'm like, okay, I'm 12 years old. So I'm going, if he is that good and he's bigging up whoever these people are, I need to find out who they are. So mm-hmm. this is back when MySpace was a was oh, big yeah. and AOL, AOL Messenger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm going to try to find Pop and Pete on AOL Messenger. I'm just going to shoot my shot. And I found him and I messaged him. And I must have sent this long love letter of like, <laughs> I'm obsessed with this dance. Mr. Wiggle says you're the guy. So I'm going to reach out and just say, hey, I, I'm willing to learn anything you can do to help me elevate. I had, keep in mind, I had never even seen Pete. I just was going off of Wiggle's what, word yeah. that he was good. He then sends me, he must have been fond of me because he said, I have a son your age, Shoney, Shoney, mm-hmm. right? Sean Book. So I was like, cool, Sean Book. And he sends me a free tape called Pop What You Got or something. It was one of his old VHSs. And then in turn, he's like, when you start getting better, you know, send me some tape of you like and I can, you know, see your improvement. And so I remember getting my dad's recorder and me and my homie are down in the basement and I'm trying my best to do old man's and electric boogaloo foundation based off what I seen on the tape. Uh-huh. And I send it to Pete. And so me and Pete had this back and forth dialogue when How I was a 12 year old. Yeah. And and that kind of was the be- the beginning of me actually knowing what real like popping was at, at that age. And, and it bloomed. And I'll be honest, when I first saw Pete, my, my brain wasn't educated enough uh, to know what how you were good seeing. He was. Yeah. yeah. Like Wiggles was more because he had more tricks and blow ups and like power moves. He was more like, whoa, we're Pete and them. You have to understand the usage of the hit the groove, the, music, the rhythm, the ear. Yeah, everything that's going on. So I ain't gonna lie, initially, and I told Pete this, you know, because, you know, we see each other all the time, but like initially I just didn't understand, but I was drawn to how hard he could hit and how mm-hmm. his lower body would do different things while his upper body was was popping. And so I, I, I really like that. And then as I got older, I started to realize, um, oh, he's there, these guys are insane. And yes. then Miami, here's here's where Miami come kicks in. Is then when I go to Miami, no one's boogaloing in Miami. Wow. Everyone's no just one. Sky, sky, sky. everyone in Miami is um what we like to call, I call like eye candy. You know, it's it's more like uh the illusional based styles, waving, oh, yes, yes, yes. animation, strobing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. 
So I'm going out there and I think like I I got it. You know what I mean? And and when I go to my first party in the hood in Miami, there's these dudes who just like their isolation was so next level. Like and, and I have to shout out, you know, because it was Southern. So people called everything in certain areas of South Florida they called everything cutting up like that old school term, like cut a rug or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like, I'm like, I already knew popping boogaloo, tutting. I knew terminologies. When I went to the South in Fort Lauderdale, I'm like, Oh, these dudes pop, but they didn't call it popping. They called it cutting up. Right. And the style was like, it was like almost like they were breaking their body, like in puzzle pieces, but like, mm-hmm. it was like, don't get me wrong. You know how people, and, and this is what I'm saying. I'm, and this is no knock to anyone. But when I started seeing people, do all these things, you know, like later on, I'm like, dude, I wish I had a camera in the early 2000s in Fort Lauderdale, because when I tell you like the level of that type of isolation was so like nutty, Mm -hmm. it it made me feel like, man, this book, this boogaloo thing ain't, it it doesn't draw people enough. Like, cause it just wasn't a crowd pleasing. It wasn't as visually striking. I wasn't as visually striking, you know, so I and then plus you have all the B-boy legends that I grew up with. Uh, Rudy Goblin. Rudy. Yeah. Flipside Kings, you know, Deadly Venoms, uh, Boogie Squad. I mean, so many people that were in the B-boy culture as well. And so I had to find a way to make my style appealing, but also still stay with me. So Miami, I'm so grateful for Miami because it made me love popping and all the styles that are associated with it as well. And I think it just made me a more versatile mover because without that, I might've just been boogaloo, 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 and kept my my mindset here yep. and going there where everyone's roboting, isolating, waving, gliding, animating. Boogaloo was like, you stood out like a sore thumb if you boogalooed, you know what I mean? <sighs> and so it was like a perfect storm to throw me in, not to mention you're living in this close to Hialeah, this uh-huh. close to, you know, so you're getting Latin culture, you're getting Jamaican, Haitian Ooh, culture. So like huge melting pot. Yeah. yeah and you got yeah. to, you got to honor the, the, you know, the founding fathers and the technique that you got in this early exchange mm-hmm. that you had. And then you also mm-hmm. had to adapt in order to stay uh, afloat in a social 100%. setting, you know, without, 100%. without being 100%. the guy that's doing that. Did people know it was called Bug Style or Boogaloo? Did people know that? Yeah, people, people, people knew. But the crazy thing is, like, it was almost kind of like they viewed it as like old, like old, old almost school. like they yeah. felt like I was old school, and they were doing something that was more next. I guess something new. Next, yeah, something new or something hip. And so for me, it was just a great learning experience going to different hoods skipping school to go battle somebody at their school or, or, or meeting up at a park somewhere in a neighborhood that I'm not from just oh, to go man. battle this, this guy that I heard was the best guy in that neighborhood. And, and I just wanted to prove myself, but those exchanges also, I was seeing where I lacked, you know what I mean? I'm like, dang, I can't mm. respond to mm. what he's, mm. what he's doing. like. He has a certain control factor with his waving that I just don't have, or this person looks so cartoonish and so animated. I'm just like, man, I, I, I don't have that body control yet. Damn. You know what I mean? I, I don't have it yet. I'm funky at the time, like super funky, 
and dynamic and I could do shoot downs and I could go to the ground and, and, and I was dynamic because being 6'2", yes. you know, I'm tall, so I'm, I'm, I, everything looked good. I was more into scarecrow and puppetry and yep, I was into it that. It suits vibe. you so well. And then, oh, we'll yeah, talk about then, no strings in a second, by the way, is one of my oh, favorites. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then we like, you know, it just became something that, man, I just learned so much. And then I started actually training those styles and just working on what I felt were like weaknesses in my in my, in my dance and, and, and also just things that I was like, man, I, then you start realizing, oh, if I, if I can master waving or, or well, to me, you never master anything, but hmm. I can continue to grow in these different styles. Then it started, things became a playground in yeah. my head now. Yeah. Cause you're like, oh, I can wave and then turn it right into a robotic movement. And then out of that robotic movement, I can, you, you start to see the different styles becoming like, so for me, this is just my opinion. This is no knock on anyone. If you only want to master robot, totally fine. If you only want to master waving, totally fine. But I feel like it becomes so much more fun when you have mad vocabulary. You can mix dialects. You can mix because then you start to create some things that look a little you know, it can look a little different. And so for me, it just probably started to click for me, even probably, I would say like the last six, seven years. Cause like to, to, to animation didn't come natural to me. Dime stops, strobing, those things, those elements took work. The 10,000 hours of doing it over and over and over before I felt like I had a understanding of it and not for me, styles are like, it's not even just like the technique. Like, do you understand what what spiritual place can you put yourself in when you're doing this style? So a lot of times when I'm animating, I feel cosmic. I feel like I'm not from here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you I'm from another- You're speaking to my heart right now, my friend. Yeah, I feel like I'm in another dimension in my own brain. And so like, it wasn't just learning the techniques. It was like the state of mind in which I need to put myself in, in order yeah. to maximize the feeling and the technique of whatever it is I'm trying to do. Okay. Uh, I was going to save this question towards the end because I feel like you are a person who is possessed by both technique and style. And one of the questions that I, that I asked in my first season of the podcast I asked every single guest the same question. And at the end of the year, I put together this mashup episode of everybody's answer to that question. And the first year of the pod, I asked, what is the difference between technique and style? And I knew that when I had you on the books to, to do this interview, I want to know your answer to that question because you are so possessed by both. I know that you are a person who embodies both in equal parts. And I would love to hear your explanation of the distinction between the two from your mind's mm -hmm. eye. Like, how would you explain it? That's, that's a whole podcast in itself. But I, I know, right? It could be a spinoff podcast for sure. Yeah. I will try to put it the best way I think at this spur of the moment, as I'm just thinking right now is style to me is being unapologetically vulnerable, unapologetically yourself. Like your style is your personal touch that comes from within your soul. So you can't teach style, you know what I'm saying? Because it has to come from inside. It has to be who you are. That's what makes, 
So don't get me wrong, and, and don't, don't get me wrong. So some people say, "Well, popping is a style," and I mean, I'm talking style as in your flavor, right? Your your seasoning that you put on top of these styles, right? Uh, popping, breaking, contemporary, whatever it is you like to do. So to me, style is like passion. Technique is 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 um. It's like a, a like a basketball player. They shoot a thousand jump shots a day. They're practicing the mechanics of the shot, so that way, when when it's time to perform, you don't have to think. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to think. So, technique to me is like you're drilling these techniques in your body, so that way you can have the ability to implement your style, your flavor. You know what I mean? So, my my one of my mentors always told me to marry your passion with your technique you know he's like you got so much flavor and so much charisma but like that and that you can't teach you can't teach that and so he's like that's and you that, can't buy it you can't go out and get that yeah, somewhere you can't go out and get it it's a part of how you grew up it's the culture you grew up around it's my mom it's your taste it's your yes it's your it's your influencers your influencers yeah. it's your influences <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I love this answer so much. I, I, I so appreciate that. Thank you for weighing in on two years ago's question of the year, but it is an important balance to hold, right? Like your mentor was shining a light on an area where you could enhance your impact as an artist by having a, a different ratio. We won't even call it balance. Cause I don't think it's about a 50, 50. I think you can be, I, first of all, I think technique is whatever works. Mm. I do I do see it as being mechanics, but mm. I don't think there's a one way. Good point. I Good mean, point. E- everybody will have a different way. My favorite answer to that question, actually, I'll share with you uh, in lieu of just recapping the entire episode. Uh, I have a, a friend who is a doctor by day and a drag queen by night. And they answered mm. this question by saying, technique is the what, style mm. is the so what so what what does it matter so what what's the point so what what's the impact so what does it last so what why should i care like the technique is what i am doing the mechanics as you said yeah, and then style yeah. is the rest like it's so what i yeah. love this answer um well it's but, crazy you say that so i i have to yeah, say go, this go. because it, it's it's something um that i you know, and maybe I don't know, you know, you never want to be that person, that dancer who's like getting older and then you go like <laughs> get into your old like. Oh, but well, no matter to- what, it will happen. I'll hear, hear yeah, it done yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Right. But what I'm noticing. And I just want to share this with any my fellow street dancers before we probably get into films and the art mm-hmm. side of things. It's like. Let's not downgrade being funky. I just want I just want to say that because I think sometimes people downgrade funkiness as if it's an easy thing to accomplish, you know? Cuz being funky is like we were talking about earlier with the with the style and technique is like unapologetically yourself is what makes you funky to me. Like it funky's not a style. It's a feeling, you know what I'm saying? And like, cause someone could be waving and you're like, damn, that's funky. Someone could be house dancing. You're like, damn, that's funky. Someone could be boogaloo yeah, that's funky. So it's not, a, it's not, to, uh, someone could be whacking. That's funky. Like, so to me, it's not to a specific style. 
But sometimes people are so caught up in technique and when people forget that a lot of these street styles come from a, a funk era or funk timeline and people forget that a funk is mandatory. Uh. That's just my opinion. Being funky and like I'm saying, funky is not a specific movement. I just think like people are forgetting to add that element of freedom and being unapologetic. They're so caught up in, I got to look like the fakest robot possible, or Ooh. I got to have the cleanest wave possible. Or the most like, technical, you know, the most technical wave or the most technical anything. Yeah. 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 It's like, I, for example, I see people hit and I'm like, man, you hit extremely hard. But what I like when I see is the usage of it, like what's underneath, like, What's underneath the hit, right? Because I could stand there and we can go bang, bang all day. But I'm like, what other grooves and pockets and feelings and expression live underneath that technique? Yeah. And that to me is starting to get overshadowed for, well, he hits really hard. And right, I'm right. like, I get that. But also like there's more to these dances than just the technique. So I like I liked your style technique question because I do feel like style being funky and flavor is uh, almost starting to be put beneath how yes. technically great you are. Yo, yes. And I have to, as you were speaking, I had to pull up a quote. And before I read it, don't worry, it is George Clinton. I am about to quote George Clinton on the podcast. <laughs> um, uh, before I do that, though, it's it's number one, I'm actively pissed that this is not a uh, we are capturing video today, but this is exactly why a podcast format is a bit of a disservice for the dance and choreography genre, because the way that you're moving while you're explaining this and the way that you're showing the things that you're talking about, I'm just obsessed with it. So that's part one. Mm. Part two, the place that you just designated style was inside. And that reminded mm -hmm. me of another answer that I love to this technique style question, which is a metaphor, of course. Most people answered with metaphors. When I asked, like, what's the difference? They would say, like, you know, technique is the car and style is how you drive it or something like that. Like, yeah. it, we, we answer in metaphors. This was my favorite metaphor. Technique is like a glove. Different techniques for different tasks, right? Like your dentist wears a different glove than the gardener, than the golfer, mm -hmm. than the welder, right? But all of these gloves can, right? They help you do the job, but they can cover up the fingerprint, which is the style. It is the mm -hmm. artist's voice and it is inside. The technique goes on top. So you have to be a person almost who can perform the task without the glove in order mm -hmm. to be able to do it with your true, your, your imprint, your signature, your, your actual fullest voice. So that's massive. I love that. This is so good. Um, okay. Notes on funk. Are you ready for this? So yeah. I, I was reading a textbook. I will link to it in the show notes to this episode. Um, I don't actually remember. I think the book might be called Notes on Funk. Um, but George Clinton of P-Funk of like Parliament says that funk is anything you need it to be to save your life. And you, mm. just, you just mentioned freedom. And you mentioned mm. like, yes, you can have perfect technique, but where's funk is not easy. Funk is Funk, like you almost have to be desperate to find it. Again, it's not something you go and get at the store. Yeah. Funk is whatever it, whatever you need it to be to save your life. And I was like, uh, stop me dead in my tracks. It's 
no, it's not easy to embody. No, mm. not everybody gets to have it. No, you don't find it. You probably don't find it in a dance studio where, mm. where your life isn't <laughs> um, at, at risk. You know, it's something uh, that you yeah, find out. Yes. In a, you got to find it in the culture, you know, like, you, yeah. you know, funk, funk for me was, you know, in hood parties, watching people do hood dances and booty shaking and seeing all these dip, you know, in Miami, just going to like places where people are just dancing as a healing modality, as a, as a situation just to kind of like, you know, stress relieve, even as teenagers, you know what I mean? So for me, I, I saw some of the funkiest people we would never know who they are, their names. It was just in the it's community. It's somebody's auntie. It's somebody's yeah, uncle. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So that to me was always my sources of like a funk. And then I started realizing, okay, now I have examples of what it is, but ultimately they're just expressing themselves in the moment. So I have to find what that means to me. So we always say this little saying amongst me and my guys that I train with every now and then is, we always say you gotta uh, you gotta trip to rip, meaning like you you, you gotta trip out. Sometimes you you might do something that feels funny or feels awkward, but you gotta reach for it. Don't be afraid of how it looks. If it's gonna look ugly, if it's gonna look awkward, if your face is gonna do something you don't want it to do, you're holding yourself back when you uh. think like that. You just gotta like unapologetically let it come out, and you might find a new path that you never thought you would find by just. Just letting that shit go, you know what I mean? Oof. I needed to hear that today. Thank you. Yeah, respect. You're cracking into my little person shell, my alien shell. I like to think sometimes <laughs> that we're just like if if an alien came and looked at what humans do, they would we go to the grocery store with a cart and we touch fruit and we squeeze it and then we sniff it and then we put it back and then we keep going with our little cart and then we have dance class. Like shit's crazy. Humans are wild. And you just really spoke to my little alien human self. That was awesome. Okay. Let us segue then, because I think that this all like your early relationship to dance and your mentorship and your development of dance as a language speaks a lot to how you converse, right? You have a massive lexicon of movement language, you know, in, in your vocabulary, it's massive. And I think that makes sense to me now as, as how you arrived at having that. What I would love to know is how you found your voice as an artist. I, I did hear actually, you mentioned in an interview, um, I think you mentioned a Nina Simone quote. Yeah. He says something to the effect of artists have a responsibility to mm -hmm. speak about social change and social issues and current issues. Do you remember it? Could you have yeah, something Nina, about Nina reflecting said, the times? Yeah. She said, you can't be an artist and not reflect the times. There you that go. Was, that was her quote. You can't be an artist and not reflect the times. Yeah. And so for me, you know, well, I'll let you ask me the question because I'll, yeah. I'll go into it. Th thank you. Thank you for asking. saving my preamble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll um, go off. Okay. So I, I see your work as exploring some massively important and some very emotionally heavy issues from mental health to racism, gun violence, incarceration, global climate emergency. Like you've kind of left no stone unturned when it comes to mm -hmm. important topics. Um, if I'm missing any, please 
please do feel free to illuminate. But those are the themes that you speak to with your work. I, I suppose my question is, why do you think that artists and specifically you have a responsibility to speak to and create social change? Hmm. I think it took me a while to get that out, but it was worth it. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a good, it's a good question. I think it's one of those things where like, I mean, I have to explain it in this way. So you understand the journey of how I got to that mentality was obviously for a while for me, it was, you know, battle, 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 compete, 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 you know, battle, battle, battle. And like, I started to realize like, and this is no knock to the competition world. I think the competition world is great. I think people get to sharpen their swords. They get to like, you know, learn off. But I also have seen a lot of toxic energy in those competitive spaces. And like, even then, like I, when I was doing like Just a Boo and UK Champs and like all these big events that I always wanted to do, I was like, man, it's not everything I thought it was going to be. And I was kind of like, man, you know, it just, it just didn't, it just wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And then when I got the job to work with Cirque du Soleil, because at that time I was living with five people in a one bedroom apartment, I was struggling. It was crazy. And I got hired by Michael Jackson's estate to come out to Vegas and, and, and work in the show. And that finally gave me the time period to say, okay, John, you've been running around doing the competition thing, the whole who's better than who, rah, rah, rah. Mm. But all your life, you love theater and you love film. My mother introduced me to, to film. Like she used to take me, us to the movies, but like it wasn't to see like regular films. It was like Schindler's List. It was Roots. It was, it was like, she just put these things in our minds because she wanted us to see movies with depth and meaning and that would make us think. And uh, she always loved plays and Broadway and stuff like that as well. So I was like, I've always loved this and I love popping. You know what I mean? So how can I What is the merge? center circle of that Venn diagram? Yeah, yeah, and now that I wasn't broke and I wasn't poor and I wasn't living with five people in a one-bedroom apartment, I had the financial stability to actually ask myself, what is serving me? What is not serving me? Where do you really want to go? You know? And I said, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be a storyteller. I want to be a director but I want all of my work to be rooted in street dance vernacular because that's the vernacular that I love the most via movement. You know what I mean? And so for me, I, I just started digging deep in the history. And even when you go back to real Boogaloo roots, Oakland Boogaloo, Black Messengers, Black Resurgence, Demons of the Mind, Close Encounters of the Funkiest Kind, Granny and the Robotroids, all these legendary groups from out of the Bay Area, they were linked to black liberation in certain movements when they were doing the dance. So as I started looking up my own history of the movement, you find that there was always a connection to this movement and social justice. It's just, it's not talked about as much, but if you really do your history, you know, and also I'll be honest, you know, we're on a podcast having a candid conversation. So I'll be honest with you. I also wanted to show that dance can tell any story. I don't have to make my dance film about dance. It, oh it's, God, please it's, don't. It's, We've got plenty of it. <laughs> We've got plenty of those types of videos. I wanted to sh- show it as a storytelling mechanism, as an ability to push a narrative forward, 
as a tool to break down social economic boundaries, as a healing modality, all these different things started to click in my brain. And, and, and I would say one of my first, you know, steps in doing that was a uh, color of reality. You know, the color mm-hmm. of reality film was kind of like my first attempt at being a director. No one deemed me that, you know, I just was like, I'm going to just do it because I know I have a way to tell this story in a way that no one else will do it. And, and I can't, I can't rely on someone to come do it for me. No, and, nobody's um, going to yeah. knock on your door and give you that project. You had to make yeah, no it. No one's going to give me that opportunity, but yeah. I, I was lucky enough to have a friend say, Hey man, you need to do a piece with Alexa Mead, this artist, Alexa yes. Mead. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, and then I look at her work and I couldn't see the connection. I'm like, well, uh-huh. what are we, I mean, she does amazing work, but like, what are we going to do? So I'm scrolling her Instagram. I'm stalking her Instagram to try to find inspiration on like what kind of film could could we make? Mm-hmm. And and I knew I wanted to do something around police brutality because it just felt like every other month it was something. Now, especially in 2016, I don't know if we look it up, but I swear to you in 2016, it felt like every other few months it was some body getting shot by the police, something crazy was going on. So it was like, that was kind of eating at me anyway, internally as a man of color. And then he, my friend brings me Alexa Mead. And and so I'm like, okay, I want to tell this story, but I don't know how her work and that story is going to go together. And then I find this picture and she had a dude all painted up and his reflection was painted in the television. So he was Mm -hmm. in a living room, all painted room, He's Mm -hmm. painted and then she painted his reflection in the television. And I thought Mm -hmm. to myself, man, every time I see a young African-American get shot, I think, oh, that could have been me. That could have been my brother. That could have been my cousin. And that's when a light bulb went off. Like, oh, I think I think I know what we could possibly do. And then the rest was kind of like, you know, you know. History. History. <laughs> that was your that was your one plus one equals one million moment. And that's my favorite art is when somebody takes two things, right? In this case, we have the fine art of a painting or an image. We see images on TV, we see images in paintings on your living room wall, but a moving image can move someone. So what you what the mm-hmm. you you one plus one the still image and the images that we see on TV and you became a two-dimensional but breathing and moving in a 360 degree space image mm-hmm. and it is so yeah. striking to behold it's st- it, that was it really 2016 that film holds up it's really beautiful it's i will be sure to link to it um as well as a couple of my others my other favorites of yours no strings which i mentioned already um mm-hmm. honor thy mother which is stunning and beautiful uh, as well mm-hmm. as the uh, I don't know if it has a name, but the piece you mentioned earlier, the dream sequence from Blind Spotting, um, yeah. is 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 a history of slavery and racism told through dance, told entirely through dance, and it's daunting to tell that history with words, <laughs> and yeah. and and you did it so you and and your wonderful team of dancers did it so poetically, uh, and and actually I take it back, it is poetry. But where mm, a lot of poetry uses simile and metaphor to distance, uh, you put us right in the middle of it. There's no 
veil or gauze over the eyes. It's like, no, look at it. Look at it. The facts, the actual yeah, yeah. facts. And I really respect you for that. I really think that that's, it, it, it can be very easy to default to the devices, you know, literary dance devices um, to represent certain things. But I do think there are times and places and ways to just say it, what it is yeah, on the nose yeah. so that we don't get to escape it. <laughs> yeah. I got to shout out Rafa, Rafael Casal, David Diggs, the creators of Blind Spotting, um, Jess Wu Calder, who was the director of that whole episode three. Um, mm-hmm. She empowered me tremendously with that piece and allowed me to come in and do my thing. I got to shout out my wife, Milena Eagle, who was like my associate choreographer for the whole piece. So we were, it was, it was just a, a great, a, a crazy process. Cause obviously when you get the script and it says, we're going to tell the history of the N word oh, through movement and you go, okay, how do we, how do we accomplish that? I mean, but luckily, you That's know, so daunting. we have such a, yeah, such a great team, but also, you know, little Buck and I had, um, created a theater show called love heals all wounds and yes. we had been touring it for a couple years and we had similar thematics so that's why i think blind spotting and us married because they had some themes that they've been flirting with from the movie and what they were doing and it was almost like rafa and Diggs were what me and buck were but in writing form and we were like yeah. the dance in, form in, the, in the parallel universe of of yeah, uh, disciplines yeah, so it made sense. Yeah, it made sense to come to come together, and uh, so luckily it ha- it wasn't like foreign topics for us as far as how we attacked it because obviously color of reality, different things that I had done before. You were, were so prepared. Were yeah, it was like it was like where preparation meets opportunity, you know. And and for me, I think I've never seen anything like that on television before, and. Um, and yeah, and I just think it was groundbreaking on so many levels for for Lionsgate and Stars to take a risk and do a piece like that for Rafa and Diggs and Jess to believe that I could choreograph something like that and it, and we could pull it off. It just shows like the level of their genius and then also the level of their trust in me as an artist and what I bring to the table. So it it, it was just a blessing, uh, a blessing all around and. Uh, yeah, man. It, it, and, and I will say this too, is like, you know, I don't ever want to uh, box myself in, you know, in a sense of like anything that's expressive, mm. I'm game. If we want to talk about love, let's talk about love. We want to talk about social justice, let's talk about social justice. We want to talk me- mental. I don't put a box on ah. what I can create. I just think for a while, and this has nothing to do with blind spotting or anything. It's just like, you know, we came out with so many powerful social justice narratives that sometimes I even noticed people would tend to want to um, keep, you know, like whenever they needed something of that nature. And, and I'm talking about it. just for galas, performing. I'm talking about yeah. any random thing. I'm not talking about blind spotting. I'm talking about just like, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I don't, I don't want to box myself in to any, any kind of, um, genre of oh he's the guy who does the dance on social justice pieces it just happens to be these are things that i'm passionate about at the time these are things that are on my mind at the Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and this is the best way for me to express it is through the art that's that's always been just a better way for me to 
get out how I'm feeling. And then it becomes in a way something that could become sad or, 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 or put you in a place now becomes fun because mm-hmm. now you get to create something around it. And then the challenge of how beautiful can we make this? How much impact can we have with this? What can this really say? You know, how, how's this going to affect people? I mean, when I did the mental health video, man, that was probably one of the nuttiest, that was probably the nuttiest one since color of reality in a sense of like, I felt like real cultural impact of like a lot of, lot of men of color, women of color reaching out to me going, man, I've been wanting to go to therapy for so long and I just never did it. Or man, you know, there's a stigma where I'm from, like therapies, when, you know, if you really uh-huh. got some serious problems going on or whatever, whatever. And the vulnerability that myself and the other artists involved with that piece showed it made people want to be okay with that real therapist reaching out to me saying that they were going to use this video with some of their patients or different people. And I was just like, Whoa, this is crazy. Um, that, what that, is the that. name of that piece? Cause I, I haven't mentioned it and it's, it's riveting. I want to, I will definitely include it. Um, what, what takes place in this work is that on the couch opposite the therapist who is using spoken words, we see mm-hmm. dancers dancing their mm-hmm. therapy, mm-hmm. dancing their therapy session. It is so profound and well executed and I really love it. What is it called? Mother Eye Sober is the name of it. It's a, it was a Kendrick Lamar track right. and I love right. And the crazy thing is every short film I've ever done, we've created music for it. I never use oh. preset music. So this was rare for me, but the songs, it was like one of those things where a song speaks to you to the yep. point where if I ran away from it, I'd be doing it, it a disservice. It, yeah, it would chase me. It would come get you. Yeah, it came and got me. So I was like, well, I'm just going to use it and and it is what it is and 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 I'm glad I did cuz I felt like his poetic delivery with his lyrics just matched the poetic delivery of the movement and it just set the tone of what we wanted it to be which is these three guys going to therapy for the first time and everyone feels a little different about it you know what I mean and 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 everyone's got different traumas and and how do we what is what does it look like trying to unpack them even when they're really difficult through their body because trauma lives in the body you know what i'm saying like so yes. for me it was like a double message of like it's not just like oh we're going to dance out our traumas it's also a metaphor for how when you get anxiety some people feel it in their chest when you get anxiety some people get lightheaded like there's so many different reactions to anxiety depression and these different things and what i realize is it it always affects your body. It always does in some way, shape, or form. That's the common thread. the the physical The physical experience, yeah, that it, that it is felt, is what they share. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And so, like, you know, what's crazy is like Tupac is one of my favorite rappers of all time. And I was just watching the documentary of him last night on Hulu, Dear Mama, or something like that. I was like, I just wanted to check it out, and like. I feel like that where like he would come out with songs like Brenda's Got a Baby or Keep Your Head Up. He had like really conscious songs. And then other times he want to put out songs that's just some party shit. You know what I'm saying? And that's and he was allowed and like, he did. And he did, you know, and I feel like that's kind of what, you know, I I, I want to like and maybe I'm just <laughs> venting on your podcast because you're making oh, me I feel comfortable. It. But it's more of like I I want to continue to explore 
because I feel like sometimes a lot of sometimes I feel like certain stories of color are told through certain perspectives. You know what I mean? And I'm like, there's so much more to Blacks, Latins, Asian. There's so much more to us than maybe this story or just that story or just that story. So like now later in my works, I've been trying to explore. And I think that's why the mental health thing intrigued me because one, I started going to therapy for the first time myself this past year. I'm very proud of. But also I just felt like, dang, if some of my friends or some people that I knew, you know, including myself, actually had someone to talk to at certain aspects of their life, we could have dodged a lot of unnecessary bullets, metaphorically. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and Um, some literal. Yeah, and some literal if we would have had someone to speak to. So I found it was just intriguing of like, to dive into the psyche of what does it mean to be an artist of color? Cause sometimes there's expectations that like, sometimes you just want to just be an artist, right? You, you don't right? want to be enough. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be that. Do I, you know, and then, cause there was even times where I felt, you know, not being hypocritical to my uh, commentary of reflecting the times. Cause I believe in that, but there was also times where you're like, I'm not spiritually in the space to want to, do anything oh, like man, that. Let's talk about that. You know what you I mean? Have to, Cause you must be tapped in to deliver, to deliver that message. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes yeah. you don't, you know, yeah. Sometimes it's nice to be unavailable to the source. Sometimes it's nice to not be. It's draining. I put my everything into these things. I don't just yeah. do shit. When I do it, we do it. You know what I'm saying? So for me, like, that's why I think the blind spotting was a was a real sweet spot, actually. And I'm so grateful for that piece because because of the pandemic, me and Buck were developing a show at the public theater, but it got pushed back because of the uh-huh. pandemic. So we were supposed to be doing stuff at the public theater in New York like a few years ago, but obviously 2020 shit got crazy. And so everything kind of got pushed back. And so some of the DNA of those stories that we were mm. telling never got a chance to really get out in the world. And I felt like in a way that blind spotting piece that we just came out with was like the universe blessing me and blessing us and being like, here's a little bit of this DNA that we've been building on for so long. And we get this bigger platform to like, just show the world a little bit of like how we've been creating and, 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 and just how that's been our, our flow for a long time of trying to tell powerful narrative with the body. So like, mm-hmm. like I said, there's certain times where I'm jumping into it head first. And then there's other times where you're like, Oh, actually like I, I, I'd ra- I want to, you know, I, I want to do a piece about being an alien from another planet and I land yeah. here and, you know, and, and, and the, and the funk that I got comes from the cosmos. Yes, totally untethered, untethered from urgency or from reality. Um, yeah, and, 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 and do you know what? People don't allow you in that space. Well, I think that this, if we to uh, bring it back to our friend Nina Simone, if yeah. if what she says is true, if the point is you cannot be an artist without reflecting on the times, then that is part of it. Yeah. What about our times is not itching to escape? our times. Like, let me mm, tell you what, I, it's, it's important for me to dig into some sci-fi Netflix show because that mm. is, 
because any more time in the daily, 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 the news cycle, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. power structures, the patriarchies, you name it, whatever. I mean, I mean, is escapism and trivial, even consumerism? Like if I were to make a piece about my shoes, I just got new Jordans. If I was to make a piece about my shoes, which is trivial and superficial and not urgent and not whatever, it could still be meaningful and a huge and a reflection of of the now like this is yeah so you have me going on this whole philosophical deep dive which is what is heavy and what is not heavy and what is what 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 is um viable art making material and what isn't there's no definition nobody decides except for us a hundred percent and i think that's more of like i guess what my with my long rant about that was was like i'm trying to and I think the therapy is obviously great and been helping. It's like, I'm trying to show all facets of my being as an artist. And I feel like I still have so much of me that I haven't been able to show. And that's not anybody's fault. That's me. Like now I'm like, okay, cool. Now some of these, you know, TV shows and some of the scripts I'm working on, all, some of the other projects that will come out in the near future will start to show, oh, you know, my love for Star Wars and sci-fi, like all these other things that are up here, I, you know, I haven't been able to dive in. I think lately the, the best thing I've been able to dive in that I've always wanted to dive in is acting and working with the public theater and creating a Broadway show has allowed that <laughs> other side of me to come out that and so I, I'm just looking forward to showing people a multi-hyphenated, multifaceted artist, you know. And I and yeah. and so don't get me wrong, I'm proud of everything I made. I love everything I made. It's dear to my heart, but I'm also excited to show just how I feel. The same way I feel about the dance is how I feel about my art in general. It's like there's no limitations once you learn. The art of storytelling, I can tell any story. Once I learn how to pop, I can pop any way I want to. I, I yes. view it the exact same way. And so I think I'm I'm like, um, you know, just excited to to continue to express different parts of myself that I maybe haven't been able to dive in. And even maybe sometimes we're subconsciously afraid to dive in some of those spaces because you don't know how it's going to come out. But I'm I'm really like at this point now or like vulnerability with my art. Uh, um, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> it doesn't bother me at all. No, no longer a hurdle. Mm-mm, nah, nah, totally. Well, I, this is a, a wonderful place to wrap up, I think, because of the tie that you just made between, you know, learning the conversation of dance through technique mm-hmm. and your style, and then also using that same freedom that you have. I, I make a callback all the time, but sorry, let me just finish one thought at a time. I am excited. Um, (laughs) using that kind of commonality, the same way that you learned to speak dance with many different dialects is how you are Mm -hmm. approaching art with many different dialects, with many different modes to express your many different colors and this beautiful mosaic that is you. Um, but I do, I have a question because You've mentioned in in that last little download of yours, Mm -hmm. sharing all the parts of you. And my question is, is there anything that is sacred that won't be shared? Is there any part of your dynamic mosaic of life that you 
that you want to explore with art, but not publicly? Oh. Hmm. Oh, man, that's a tough question. You know, follow like up, follow up episode, perhaps. <laughs> possibly. You know, I got you. We can always jump on again whenever. It, it was just one of those things where one of my other, you know, Tommy Kale, the director of Hamilton, told me, he said, the more personal, the more universal. That's facts. You know? Yep. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, man, I can't be afraid to be personal because then I'm touching more people. More people might be like, damn, I went through that exact same thing, or they may not have went through the exact same thing, but they went through something similar. So I feel like obviously there's certain things, and it's not answering a question directly. Like my practice sessions are mm. sacred to me. Like mm. when I actually practice the craft. Now, every now and then I'll feed the machine and put up a clip of me getting down. But a lot of people don't realize that's like the, that's like sometimes it's just a practice of at the end of practicing for 90 minutes, I go, how do I look when I'm tired? Right. I've been going all along. Well, it's almost like this. for me, yes. the optics of seeing when I'm at my lowest point stamina wise, do I still have the power? Do I still. How do I know, read? How do I look? How do I read? Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of those clips that I put up on my Instagram that are just fun get downs are more of end of practice, already sweated, already feeling good. Boom. But the the first hour 20 is like I'm old school in the way of like practicing was like a it was a thing. We it's a gathered. sacred. We, it's a sacred thing. Yeah, It was a thing. You know, it was like a it was a it was a thing. And it was something that we all enjoyed as as a as a brotherhood and a sisterhood of all the people I got to dance with throughout my whole life. And so for me, those moments are still like my homies came over the other day and we were watching a game. And it was like five of us. And I just I, I we're all chilling in my living room and I bring the speaker upstairs. I have a studio downstairs, but sometimes I like, no, we're going to lab right here. Socks right on, now. living room, <laughs> organic you're chilling over there with your little drink or whatever. But like, that's the culture to me. It's not always like studio or the session or the lab. Sometimes it's just, you're just kicking it and you don't even know it's about to happen. And it just, next oh. thing you know, we all bust, we bust in 10 rounds a piece because we're just enjoying each other's space. We're vibing off each other. And that's, that's the space I learned the dance. So it's actually harder for me to, mm. to get into it um, by myself than when I'm in, more of that environment because you know it's kind of like how you learn but i would say i guess things that i maybe wouldn't share sometimes and i don't know why is like i i i like keeping my practices and the, my techniques to myself unless uh, somebody asks me i'm not not mm -hmm. open but most people don't ask because some people don't have the um humility to go how are you achieving that totally. you know what i'm saying like like I've been up to Skeeter Rabbit, rest in peace, and go, how are you doing that? Right. You know, it's what you so did to Pete. Without even knowing who you were talking to, you asked for the the, the, the tips, the secrets. How are you doing that? And But it's also too- Interesting. Outgrowing the, the ego thing of like, you know, how much do I share? How much do I keep to myself? Like, you know, yeah. it's it's a constant battle with- your egos all the time, you know, and, and, and you can't say you want to inspire people. And then when you do get funny about it, you know what I mean? Like it's almost hip yeah. hypocritical. It's, yeah, it's hypocritical. And so I think as I've gotten a little older, I, 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 
I like teaching more, but I don't teach as much because I feel like when I when I do want to teach, I want to teach more than popping. I want to teach filmmaking with the street dance, with how you brand yourself. I, I see like a whole curriculum of stuff that oh, it's a whole kind school. Of, <laughs> yeah, that kind of shows every aspect of the industry and things that I've learned throughout my years of doing it. So like, I'm not as big on like, oh, I'm gonna go in a class and teach a combo because I feel like I'll go on a rant about something 20 times deeper than just the technique. So I'm like, how do I start to package when I am ready to teach all that I can bring to a student and not just teaching them how to hit, teaching them how to wave, teaching them how to roll by. That'll be a part of it. But I also want to teach you how to use it as a tool to elevate yourself in any other kind of way. So I would, to long-winded answer, probably say- I love, I- (laughs) And you know- are still kind of sacred and something that I don't share as much. Uh-huh. Um, but anything else, I'm kind of open game. And eventually, I think I, I don't mind sharing those things. But that's just something I notice I don't share as much as I would anything. I shared that I was in therapy before showing people how do I how do I do certain things with technique wise. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. It is sacred to you. Um, yeah. You're. Thank you for that long-winded answer. It sparked eight more questions, which I will save for round two. Um, But I do want to finish off by saying, just because you already uh, drew the connection between learning the language of dance and then learning how, learning the language of storytelling and them being very, very similar, the language of Mm -hmm. teaching is the same. Mm -hmm. You pull from all of your, all of your pockets. You pull from all of your vocabularies, teaching I think is one of the most creative acts that someone can do. It's, Mm. it's, it is storytelling. What, how is, how is teaching different than storytelling? You have to explain something unknown so Mm. that it is known and, and Mm -hmm. sticky and sticky enough to be remembered. So if, if you can session and if you can cipher and if you can make the type of work that you make, my friend, you, Whenever it is that you decide to be sharing in a teaching format versus sharing in a, a art audience type of format, you're going to be fine. Oh, <laughs> I'm, w- I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I want to I want to do it, you know, and Sabella Grimes and Rennie Harris and yeah. so many people that I respect that have taken street dance and put it in the collegiate spaces and things like that. I, I totally respect, you know, and and so for me, like, I'll, you know, I, I'll leave with this is like, you know, I think the good thing about everything that's going on right now with just dance in general and just personally in my life is like finding purpose, you know, and 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 that's why I'm so grateful to Cirque du Soleil. That was my first big opportunity because it allowed me to sit back and go, what is my purpose? And I realized my purpose in life is to 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 change people's perception of the power of street dance vernacular and show that like there's no limitations to the stories it can tell artistically, cinematically, theatrically. So now that I'm know my purpose, anytime I feel myself veering off, it's easy to get back on the road because I know where I'm going. You know what I'm saying? And that I think was the biggest gift is figuring out what I really want to do. Even though I've been in this dance a long time, I still didn't really have a concrete idea of like, what do you really want to do with this? And, um, and having that time to figure that out and soul search a bit 
and figure out what really matters to me. I think that'll give people so much clarity um, with their art and with their purpose. You know what I mean? So I think that's that's probably been the biggest blessing is just kind of knowing what I want to do. And, and that's why, you know, the blind spotting piece and I reached out to you and trying to get as much eyes on it because it's not even so much like, oh, yeah, I want people to see it. I'm, I, I, I know that like if something like that does what it, you know, gets recognition or does what it needs to do that now hopefully sets a trend for other yeah. studios, yes. streamers, platforms that go, oh, we can use dance like this in our TV show. Oh, we yeah. can use dance like this to tell a narrative like this. Like, oh, it's not yeah. just like a flash mob moment yeah. or just a moment of boom. It's like, oh, they actually use this narrative to to explain to a seven-year-old kid the history of racism and then we put it on screen like this. That just, the fact that it even exists is, is, is a, a win. win. Yeah. A win for the culture. And so, and, and it's so on purpose of where I'm at. And so that's why I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful and grateful that oh. you brought me up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will link in the show notes to the blind spotting dream sequence piece that you're talking about. Um, I want everybody to see it. And I do, I think you're right. Uh, it, it, it was an old favorite quote of mine that the best reward for great work is actually more work. Um, but when we're talking about the context of Emmys, of Tonys, of, of mm-hmm. you know, Oscars and actual, you know, man-made awards. How is there not a... Cor- oh, we're getting a choreograph- oh, we're getting there. Oh, we're getting there. Oh, you mean a, an Oscar for choreography? They're tripping. Why is that? It's not okay. Existing? It's separate podcast. Separate podcast. But <laughs> it, it used to exist. It was called Dance Direction, um, and go. then and then we changed the name, and then it went away. And then there were a couple honorary awards for choreographers, but no category. The Choreographers Guild is working on it. Um, but the other thing that we're working on is this. Like, it's true. Once there is an accolade attached, it doesn't just mean more work for you, John Boogs, like which it will, which is great, which we want. But it means that Warner Brothers will look at that star's production and be like, oh, that worked. We should do that. And then Paramount will look at that and be like, oh, that worked. Look at that. We should do that. And it's more, it, it's not just that the reward for good work is more work for you. It's more work for everyone. Um, yeah. Everyone with unique perspectives and discipline and technique and style. That's how I wrapped exactly. that up. Uh, That's how you wrap it up. Cultural currency is what you're talking about, is what me and my mentor always say. He says, you're creating cultural currency. You're creating something that you can't even put a value on it. The fact that, rest in peace, Shabadoo, Tony Basil, what she did for you, Pop and Pete, all the people we can name, they left cultural currency behind. They left a wave so powerful that it's bigger than any job, any gig, any situation. Because they created opportunity. Yeah, they created opportunity for people like me and you to exist. So at the end of the day, that's all I want to do is if we're creating cultural currency and giving opportunities where they weren't before, man, that's the biggest accolade of all the accolades. Period. Thank you, John Boogs. We will do this again sometime, but until then, take care. Uh, Keep it funky. I'll talk to you later. Keep it funky. This podcast was produced by me with the help of many. Music by Max Winnie, logo and brand design by Brie Reitz, and big thanks to Riley Higgins, our executive assistant and editor. Also, massive thanks to you, the mover who is no stranger to taking action. So go take action. 
I will not, cannot stop you from downloading episodes or leaving a review and a rating. I will not ban you from my online store for spending your hard-earned money on the cool merch and awesome programs that await you there. I will 100% not stop you from visiting wordsthatmoveme.com if you want to talk with me, work with me, and make moves with the rest of the Words That Move Me community. Oh, and also, I will not stop you from visiting thedanawilson.com if you're curious about all the things that I do that are not Words That Move Me related. (laughs) All right, my friend, keep it funky. I'll talk to you soon.